Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where we are doing our best to learn to walk in the age of fulfillment as Christians in this world. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we uh, gather uh, seeking your wisdom, your will, your knowledge, and we pray that you will be with us. Help Seth and Wendy and Mags and Mary as they uh, keep the show going. Uh, so grateful for their uh, dedication. Pray that uh, uh, the people who are here and the people who are seeking uh, online uh, will be able to view the content and they'll forgive the things I say which are wrong. And, but uh, remember the things that are correct from you uh, to have this life eternal by and through your son by faith and uh, your grace. So we seek you, Lord. We love you. We're so grateful uh, to have this relationship. In Jesus' name, amen. Last night we had a show called Nothing to Fear, and it was one where I talked all about the grace of God. Um, as some comments I have received uh, that have come through uh, based on the show What Hangs in the Balance, uh, I've caused some of you to fret and worry. And uh, even though our message was called Don't Worry last night, I have still caused some of you to fear that you're not going to make it. And, um, and first of all, I'm sorry for that because that's not my intention. And secondly, uh, I want to reiterate, it's all about faith and all about love. This making it or not is just not in the parlance of a Christian. Uh, it's all about faith and love. If you abide in him in faith, you, are, you have made it. It's not that you're not going to make it. You have made it. And then he works with you to learn how to love. I had a couple of you even say that the tenor of the message on Hanging in the Balance, a show three weeks ago, uh, sort of sounded like Mormonism, where you have to earn your salvation. So I, click, I quickly want to express the difference between uh, the Mormon idea of, of living the Christian life and the Christian idea of how to live the Christian life. The key to understanding uh, Mormonism uh, comes in the word doing, do, doing. Uh, the key to understanding how to live the Christian life is letting or allowing. Uh, big difference. Mormons do things to earn their place in the kingdom of God and to have God continue to love them. The Heavenly Father gets disappointed with them if they don't do the right things. So Mormons do temple work, and they do their home teaching, and they do what is right, let the consequences follow, and that's how the song goes. They, they trim their hair, they wear modest clothes, they pay their tithes, they attend the temple, they go to their meetings. Um, as the old hymn goes that used to be in the LDS hymn book uh, of the song, the hymn, have I done any good in the world today? There's a line in that song that used to say, the world has no use for a drone. And so um, it's all about doing in Mormonism. In Christianity, it's never been about doing. Remember, the focus is on Christ. It's on Christ, and therefore it's about letting. Letting and allowing. Letting and allowing what? Letting and allowing God to work through you, in you, by the Spirit. It's stepping back. It's not doing. It's letting Him. You see? And there's a big difference there. 
Um, it's about letting him teach you how to live and letting him take the steering wheel. In Mormonism, it's all about you driving the car. It's letting him take the steering wheel, and the Christian focus is always on God working on the inner man, the inner woman, and allowing him to help the believer mature in faith and in love. Um, simply put, Mormonism is about materialism. And that's why there's so much doing. It's material kingdom, so you're constantly doing things for it. Christianity is far, far, far more, or should be more, about the spirit, about the inner man, grow, the inner woman growing by the spirit. The differences are night and day, and I never want the messages that uh, I teach uh, to appear that I'm saying you must do, 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 uh, but instead just let God live. I want to encourage you in that. All right, I want to reiterate quickly some sites that we appreciate in the ministry and uh, then offer you a new site for you to con uh, consider. I want to remind you that I endorse these few websites. There's a lot of websites out there, obviously, billions of them. But uh, the ministry, uh, we like these websites because they're focused on helping bringing Mormons out of Mormonism and into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And... Uh, or they help people see the predatory nature of religion and they help them avoid being trapped in the confines of institutional church. So bottom line, all of these sites and the ministries behind them are pro-Jesus and Jesus alone while placing little emphasis on the institutional side of religion. The first one you might want to consider, I think there's a graphic that comes up, is TalkingToMormons.com. Danny and Seth have done a fantastic job, gone to great lengths to provide a really uh, good content and information for that site about Mormonism relative to Christian truths. So consider that. It's an excellent site full of information. And then the second site... Uh, is also to people who have been LDS, but it explores those who once were and are now Christian. And that is Earl Erskine's, Bishop Earl's uh, exmormonfiles.com. I love the site because he interviews former Mormon people who have not abandoned the faith, who have not gone into hedonism or atheism, but have clung to Jesus. And he doesn't really go too much into the religious uh, uh, practices, I don't think. You know, what church do you go to and do you do this and that? He just talks to them about the Lord, and that's a wonderful thing. Uh, next, we have the site that not only ex-Mormons should consider, but I think everybody who wants the truth should consider this site, and it's called checkmychurch.org. And you, what, what you will find there are unbiased reports of what people will find in the churches here in Utah and in Idaho. And maybe, I don't know, they might be in Arizona, I'm not sure. But uh, there's some great little churches out there that they give thumbs up to. And there's some institutional places that prey on their congregates by feeding them religion, all the while robbing them of their savings and income in Jesus' name. And Check My Church does a good job of explaining which are which. Checkmychurch.org. Even if you live outside of Utah or Idaho, you should go to that site and check it out because hopefully in time, God willing, that, church, that site will become nationally based 
and it will become worldwide-based because I think we need it. And I think it would be a great resource for people to go and actually see what's being taught, how it's being taught, what that church demands, and et cetera, et cetera. So talking to Mormons, ex-Mormon files, check my church. Finally, a number of weeks ago, I told you about a tightly wound evangelical man I used to know. And he took a manuscript for a book that I wrote called The King's Cult, and he mocked it for not being biblical and for the art not uh, representing what he thought was good. So I told you that we would be offering it to you with a 100% money-back guarantee that if it doesn't touch your heart for Jesus, and if it isn't a book loved by children or grandchildren, because that's what it is, it's a children's book, then we'll give you your money back. And it's now available for purchase by going to this new website. And uh, Seth had it up there. It's called Bjorn. That's how you're pronouncing that. It's not Bjorn. It's Bjorn Books. Uh, Bjorn is the Swedish way to say bear. And that is what my grandsons call me. And so Bjorn Books is uh, uh, there. And the first book of Bjorn Books is The King's Cult. Seth's going to scroll through it. You can see that uh, on that site, there's, um, tells you a little bit about it. You can read and be inspired. You can click on that. It shows you samples from the book with the art and the, the narrative. You can download now. You read something about the jackass author. You can scroll down there and it gives you more samples of what's inside. And then it allows you to buy it, either a printed edition or through an ebook edition. So um, that's with your money back guarantee. Now, as always, if you can afford $7.99 for a children's book, uh, uh, then buy it if you want to get it for your Kindle or, uh, or a hard copy. But if you can't afford that and you have children, if you're a single mother, you're on a limited basis, whatever, uh, write me, Sean at aletheamedia.com, and we'll send you that book free. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll send it to you. Now, listen, that's really risky business uh, because... There are people out there, no matter what, that if you say, be fair, you know, they will ask for the book and uh, even if they can afford it. I don't recommend preying upon a ministry that way. Uh, however, if you are someone on a limited fixed income, a single parent, and you have children and you can't afford this book, please write us and we'll send it to you. Uh, and just to let you know, because we have to be transparent, the book costs us four dollars and something cents, upwards toward five, and uh, each, and it costs us two fifty to mail. And so you, you can see, we're not in this to make money; we're in this to bless people's lives with a great little story for kids. That's www.bjornbooks, b-j-o-r-n-books.com. So, really quickly, what is that new site all about? We have a lot of writings, and I'm telling you, a lot that are coming out uh, that we're going to, and so many that we are launching our own small publishing company. It's a separate entity, hence Bjorn Books, and uh, we're even looking at a couple other titles that deal with some of the stuff that we like. And so there it is. King's Colt is the first title released under Bjorn Books and uh, a small publishing house. 
And uh, we hope that you will take advantage of that and we're just letting you know about it. Before we get to your comments from last week and from other shows and from last night's presentation, I wanna talk to you about a Christian characteristic that is steadily becoming more and more important to me as I grow as a Christian. And while the trait has always been essential in the life of people who follow God, God's sons and daughters, it seems to be more and more important in this day and age in Christians. And uh, naturally, when we look to the life and death of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see this trait embodied uh, beyond human comprehension in his life. It's amazing. And uh, when he was on the cross, and he's suffering immeasurably, he's been scourged, uh, he has been beaten, he has been treated poorly, he's carried his cross. Uh, it says, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is Jesus on the cross, and he's being, now we don't know who he's talking about. Was he talking about the Jews? Was he talking about the Romans? Or was he talking about both? I think he was talking about the Romans. And he says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, 53.12. that says, he made intercession for transgressors. He made intercession for transgressors, right? The prayer was obviously offered to those who were guilty of beating him and putting him to death. But um, they were treating him like a common criminal. But his prayer to his father was to forgive them. And of course, we learn from this that it is like Christ in our lives to pray for those who hurt us or are hurting us or are offending us. Now, I'm not talking about being merciful here as the characteristic. I'm not talking about compassion. I'm not talking about forgiveness. I'm talking about a trait that... Um, would have to be present for us to pray for someone who offends us and do good to those who do evil toward us. And that trait I'm talking about is humility. And I think that in the Christian walk, that trait is more and more important than we might realize. If you move on down in Luke's gospel, when Jesus is on the cross, it says, and the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with him derided him. The rulers, Jewish rulers were there deriding him, mocking him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. So he is suffering. The Jewish leaders are, it says, they're wagging their head. Oh, man. Oh, Jesus. He saved others. But uh, let him save himself if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. On down the line, all of uh, you're going to find that Luke includes, then the Roman soldiers said the same thing. Come on down, save yourself, king of the Jews. And then it says even the malefactors who are on both sides of him did the same thing. They said collectively, Come on, bring yourself down. And they added, and take us with you if you be the Christ. So we have three different groups of people saying to him while he's up on the cross, suffering for them and for the sins of the world, 
if you're so great, if you're the Christ, come on down and, and, and save yourself. Can you imagine the humility required to be in insufferable pain and then to have these three separate groups of people attacking you when you possess the power to wipe them out? Uh, Jesus told Peter, you want me to call down 10,000 legions of angels? You know I could do that. I mean, he's, he's the... He's the creator. He's the word of God with us. They're mocking him. What humility it took to take the pain and let them say that. We, I mean, I can't do that. And I'm not one billionth of this close to him. So what he was doing was just amazing in his humility. I've always maintained, because I think the scripture maintains it, that there is a dual, there's a two-lane highway going between the relationship we have with God and ourselves. There's God, he's going this way, and there's us, and we're going that way. And the traffic goes like that. Some people think it's all God straight down upon you, and you're a puppet, and you just act and do what he does, has you do. And other people think it's all you looking up and pleading, God, hear me, hear me, you know, and you have to do everything. I suggest and always have suggested it's a two-way street. He grants grace. You choose to believe and abide in by faith. He gives his spirit. You choose to let that spirit work in you and produce fruits of love. He provides knowledge of himself in creation, in the vastness of space and in the, in the, in the way this world has been. He presents himself, showing himself this unbelievable creator. You have the choice to humble yourself before that or to say, nah, I don't need it. I'm going to live by my will. There are places in Scripture, four in the Old Testament, Exodus, 2 Chronicles, Proverbs, and Micah, that talk about humility. And then in the New Testament, there are other places speaking of humility. And on that two-lane highway between God and man, the phrase is used, humble yourself. The phrase isn't used, God will humble you. The phrase is always, humble yourself. That's, that's something we choose to do as believers, to humble ourselves. And it's actually an act you have to consider engaging in in the heart. It starts in the heart. It lives in the heart to humble yourself back in the presence of things. So Jesus, God with us, capable of destroying those mockers before him who are wagging their heads in the depths of humility, chose to let them say what they're going to say without a rebuke. And I'm convinced that uh, he actually could have come down from the cross. I am convinced he had that choice, that he could have said, I have enough of this suffering, plop, 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 and down he came. I think he had that ability. Because he held himself to that cross, according to scripture, through his love for God and man. And I think he could have done it and saved other, and, uh, to remain, but he remained on it so that he could save others. In fact, it's really a paradoxical statement that they were saying, if you're the Christ, save yourself. Uh, you've saved others, but you can't save yourself. If he had saved himself, he could never have saved others. And that's the paradox of the whole statement. 
So when he was healthy and walking the earth, Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 18, 4, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That says a lot about the import of humbling oneself. In Matthew 23, 12, he said, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, that means lowered to the ground, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Another really important passage about the importance of choosing to humble oneself amidst the comings and goings of this life. James said in James 4, 6, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. And three verses later, uh, he adds, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Finally, the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, 5 through 6, You younger, submit yourselves to the elder. We don't see much of that anymore. We don't see that respect at all. Not, not by the younger. Here, Peter tells the church, You younger, submit yourself to the elder. Yeah, be all of you subject one to another. That means in the way you just talk and respect each other. And be clothed with humility. Clothed with humility, a Hebraism, for what you dress yourself in uh, spiritually. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And then Peter adds, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. This is to sons and daughters all the way. Uh, the more I live this life, the more I'm in the word, the more import I discover in the principle of choosing to humble yourself. That's what Jesus, the Son of God, did, and that's what his sons and daughters choose to do. Um, it's the holding of the tongue when you can assassinate, and it's not easy. It's stepping aside and letting others take the limelight that maybe you deserve, or getting the credit. It's about letting others think they're right and letting them have that, that position, whatever. It's turning the cheek. It's going the extra mile. It's found in gratitude. It's gratitude and humility, are, they go hand in hand. When you're grateful, it's hard to, uh, to be proud. And when you're ingrateful, it's easy to be arrogant, ungrateful. Um, it's praising him and the suffering. It's being little in this world. And it's thinking more highly of the other person. It is mercy. It's mercy. It's mercy. Holding back judgment and, and um, attack on people who deserve it. Who deserve it. That's what mercy is, you know. And so in terms of personal characteristics, humility, contrition is high, high, high on the list of the sons and daughters of God. And it occurs when you allow yourself to let love override your flesh. And it's tough, but it can happen as you allow yourself to remember that the king did it, you can do it too, but it is an act. It is a doing, what I was talking about the Mormons, it is an act, but it begins in the heart. And you, and you have to almost stop and think, okay, am I gonna respond to this arrogantly? Am I going to respond to what's happening proudly? Or am I going to respond to this with humility? I want to read to you what Paul says in second chapter of Philippians. Listen to what he says about Jesus. You ready? 
He says, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of spirit, if any bowels and mercies fulfill you my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He's talking to the believers at Philippi. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Nothing be done in strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than themselves. That's a description of humbling oneself, esteeming the other as better than oneself. It works. If you have somebody that you're starting to kind of grind on and not like and want to pick on, just start thinking of them as better and superior to you because they probably are in many ways where you allow yourself to think that way. And then he goes on and says, look not every man on his own things, but look every man on the things of others. Let this mind be which was also in, let this mind be in you which was also in Jesus Christ. So he's saying, let your intellect, let your mind, let the thoughts of your person be, be in you the way they were also in Christ who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Every time you choose to die to your flesh and will and pride and arrogance, you are experiencing a death on the cross, symbolically through what Jesus did literally through his flesh. And that is the characteristic of the Christian. It's to die to the flesh and submit to the will of God. By nature, in my flesh, um, I'm super attuned, as you may know from my past life and shows and things, to fighting, to rebellion, to resisting, to correcting, to judging, to condemnation, to self, to warfare. That is my nature. And uh, that's in my flesh. It comes out in me still uh, sometimes, but so, so, so much less uh, over the course of years of having the spirit tell me, Sean, that is not what I'm about. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And so turn the other cheek. I mean, I, my thing is, if I'm right, why would I back down? But the, it's, it's just like if you have the most strength, why would you ever step off the sidewalk for someone of less? Because it's humble and you move and you allow the others and you seek their welfare first and you humble yourself before God and others. It's the way of the Christian. I think it's time. We never really arrive in our flesh, but each victory does lend to more and more successes. If you step forward and you're willing to embrace it, um, I think it will really help us overcome our fleshly uh, selves. One more thing, and I mentioned this, but the ability to humble yourself comes hand in hand with the attitude of gratitude, not to cite a, uh, um, what do they call those guys, a motivational speaker, 
but uh, an attitude of gratitude toward God really goes a long way. What he's done in your life, how, not what he hasn't done, but what he has done, it keeps that humility and that going for you, realizing and acknowledging what he has done and being grateful for it, that the grand creator has given us good, even if your life has been tough. Okay, we're going to open up the phone line. Seth is cleaning off his, uh, his device so that I don't get his germs, um, which uh, I'm not sure he's done it effectively. Uh, nevertheless, let's read. And we're just going through the comments as they've come in, in order. And they can be about any show. So talking about Nothing to Fear, the show last night, uh, overwhelmingly... Moving is what M.M. said. And then Stephanie Smith said, an, encourage, an important and encouraging message, Sean. I believe this is what the scripture says. And it was about not fearing because you have been saved by God's grace through faith. So Stephanie says that. Um, Ad, Adnan says something really good. He says here, I think this point you made cannot be understated. The non-regenerate person, also referred to as the non-believer or non-Christian, has been completely forgiven of sin and is loved by God. When we open up the show, we say, hey, listen, um, we're talking about walking in the age of fulfillment. That's what Adnan's speaking of, that Christ has fulfilled the age of fulfillment completely, the work is done, and the world has been reconciled. So he goes on and he says, remember, that job means, it's that point means it's not our job as Christians to be like John the Baptist and call mankind to repentance from breaking God's laws, which were never given to Gentiles in the first place, but rather to be Christ, live by faith, have sacrificial love for others the way Christ did. Thanks again for the great insight, brother. And I love the fact that Adnan gets this stuff because, I mean, isn't it apparent to you what our job is? He is saying, let's stop this calling people to repentance and warring against the world and its sin. It's been forgiven that the victory has been had. So now let's be Christ to people that means love them as Christ did, and we're going to get uh, a far, far further along. Uh, M.M. says, flesh and gray, white and brown, brown and black, black and white. I do not know what M.M. means there. Um, this Eric says, the left is dark. It's an ideology of death, abortion, euthanasia, drug use, prostitution, thievery, etc., etc. Leftism literally equates to death of either the body, which is the temple of the Lord, or the spirit. It's the wrecking ball of rot and destruction. Um, and I didn't read these before I got them. So Eric is, I, hopefully he's talking about the dark left and not the left. And there's a big dis distinguish in characteristic between those two in a Christian's mind, in my opinion. And that is the dark left is morally dark in the sense of they have no repentance, 
no shame, no humility before God for the heinous things that they do. People want to liken that to the liberal left politically. There may be people in the liberal left politically who are that way, but there may be people on the, on the conservative right who are that way too politically. We're not talking about politics. If Eric is talking about politics, I, I think he's absolutely wrong to go down that road. Instead, we can look at people as being contrite right and being dark left, meaning that the contrite right are humble before God for their sin and the dark left say phenopole to God, we don't care what you think about the acts that we do. That's what defines them as right and left. The left being like the goats on the left of God, of uh, Jesus, who get cast away, and the right being the sheep that are his. That's what I mean. It is not political, and I hope that uh, isn't a political conversation. Leonardo Badila says, it's nice to see short segments from the first episodes. And Wendy is the one who does that. She goes home and she sits on her bed from uh, midnight till three and five and six in the morning. And she cuts these things out and pastes them into whatever she does it and gives you shreds of these short clips from the shows. And her work is tireless, endless, and thankless. I'm so grateful for the work that she does. And of course, others. Daniel says, they say they do, but as a 40-year-old lifelong member who no longer attends, they may be the Christian church who is least familiar with the Bible and uh, talking about the Mormons and reading the Bible. Uh, I don't know. The Way says, so basically you're, uh, you are no better, Comrade no longer available. I don't know. Uh, we're going to take a call really quickly from Maryland. And uh, let's go to Brother Humble in Maryland. Yes. What's up, Brother Mary Humble? Land. How are you? Good. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm so glad I got in. I was telling your, um, your uh, associate, um, she was really nice. I said, the last month I haven't been able to get through. The wires have been tripped out, man. Just not being able to connect with you guys. Yeah, I don't think we paid our bill. That's okay. I understand. I've done that. I've been there. <laughs> Thanks. How you doing? What's new? I'm doing really good. Okay. What's on your mind, brother? How's everybody doing? We're all doing well. COVID free. I um, Should I just go ahead and talk and ask a question? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead and talk. Okay, um, well, basically the question is this. You know, I watch Jeff Durbin speak sometimes, but, you know, Sean's the one I really tune into a lot because he's a former Mormon, and he knows that I'm a born-again Mormon, but I'm still an active member of the church. But I was watching Jeff Durbin talk to some missionaries one day, and it was kind of familiar to some, thing, some things that Sean had talked about with, in regards to the Spirit, because, you know, you read um, John 14:26, 15:26, or even Romans 8:16, and they say, you know, we know we're children of God by the Spirit, and if you want to know what's true, you know, the Comforter will let you know. And then Durbin would say something like, well, the Muslims say that they know the Spirit. So my question is, well, how do you distinguish the Spirit? Because, like in Moroni 10 through 5, we're taught as young, young kids in the Mormon Church, because, you know, Mormons believe they're Christians. Well, by the Spirit, you'll know the truth of all things, and it'll manifest by the power of the Holy Ghost. So 
when Jeff would say, well, Muslims believe that too, it's like, well, aren't you guys kind of using science? It sounds more like, um, have you heard the term availability heuristic or Occam's razor? It's like they're saying we're saying the same things, but personally I don't think that. So I wanted to see how you square that because as a lifelong member of the Church, I feel like I'm a Christian, and when I've asked God spiritual questions, I feel like he's asked, answered me by the power of the Holy Ghost, but you might have somebody else say, well, Muslims do the same thing when I feel it's a completely different thing because we're talking about Christ's doctrine. So I just wanted to see if you had some feedback on how people distinguish the Holy Ghost from somebody saying, well, that's just an elevated feeling. Yeah, that's my well, question. The, my answer, uh, Brother Humble, is um, the, the idea that the Scripture defines what the fruit of the Spirit is. And so if you get an inclination in your mind from a source that produces a fruit that is counter to what the fruit of the Spirit is, then you should hold that doctrine or belief highly suspect. And, and, okay. the, and the fruit of the Spirit is uh, love. And, the, and then with a, with a colon, and there's some uh, attributes of love, patience, kindness, mercy, long-suffering, forgiveness, okay? So if there's a doctrine that uh, is, you believe the Spirit, me or you or Jeff Durbin believes the Spirit has given them, that is not in accordance with the fruit of the Spirit, that doctrine should be suspect. And I would say to Jeff Durbin, actually, I don't understand, Jeff, how you can believe in a God who creates a bunch of people and he sends the majority of them to a literal burning hell because he doesn't want to pick them as being part as as manifesting the fruit of the spirit. And I would also say to the argument of Jeff Durbin, which you brought up with the Muslim argument, is that is why I say if you have a Muslim who is producing the fruit of the spirit in their lives, whether they know Jesus name or not, they're his. OK. Well, and I, I felt the same way, because when he was comparing it, obviously Jeff's a younger man than us, and a lot of times when he's saying this, if you watch his nonverbals and his tone of voice, he's really being kind of rude, or, 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 of course. or he's really not answering the question when people are, because people are being serious, and he's trying to kind of circumvent around the question, it's like, a truth seeker could be a Muslim, a Mormon, like you said the other night in the show, you could be in an, you could be in an ideology or religion, and if your heart's pure... And if you're truly a truth seeker, like I was telling your buddy Danny last night, who does your Mormon stories, it's like, you're in. I mean, that's the truth. I mean, if you're really seeking the truth, and you're not being fake, and you have integrity, and, you know, you've talked a lot about truth before, and you know I'm a truth seeker myself, but I was raised in the Mormon Church, but I know Southern Baptists and, and, and Catholics that are pure in heart, and I know that they feel the Spirit. So it's just interesting how he talks about it like, no, that's not the spirit of truth when you're talking about it. It's like, well, dude, I'm 51 years old. It absolutely is the spirit. I know the difference between an elevated feeling like kissing my wife or going to a concert and feeling the power of the Holy Ghost when I'm praying um, in the morning on Sunday with my family on the Sabbath day. It is different. There is a distinction. Well, uh, I would uh, concur with you on that point, uh, Brother Humble, that... It is the Spirit, and the Spirit goes where it wants, and the Spirit operates in and on people who are pure of heart and seeking truth. And I don't care what denomination it is, and that's where I part ways with Brother Durbin. I wish, I wish he'd come on your show. What's up with that guy? He won't come on. I've invited him several times. He doesn't even acknowledge my existence. <laughs> I was, I was, I was, I was uh, surprised because he got James White to come on, and he's kind of... 
like the godfather of that whole movement, and Jeff kind of is under his wing, so I thought Jeff might just go on just just to try. I was well, kind of like, the last away. I heard last year was uh, James Durbin uh, would come on with, with uh, James White together to, con- to talk to me. I said, why would I have two of you guys come on against me? I said, I'm not doing that. Uh, but they're both welcome on the show anytime they want to talk openly about this stuff. Now, you're really good, Brother Humble, in the way you uh, uh, use your, um, your apologetics, your apologetical approach is very sharp because as you're giving it and talking about common language things, you're very good at slipping in things like Sabbath day and other LDS uh, 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 doctrines that um, we could talk about if you wanted, because th- that's why this is why the LDS often are not trusted, because um, it seems slippery that yeah, you're, ta- you. you're talking with me about stuff, but you throw in these things. And because we're talking about what the fruit of the spirit is, I don't have the ability to really say, wait a second, Sabbath day, what are you talking, or what some of the other things that you've said. And I just want to point that out, but you might no, just, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that, and I agree, but you got to remember, like I told you when I first met you a couple years ago, so grandma was Catholic, dad was deep Southern Baptist, Tennessee, and mom was Latter-day Saint, so you're talking to a guy that even though I'm a born-again Mormon, I mean, this was kind of the environment I was in, so I'm like the direct result of growing up in several different churches. So it's not that I'm trying to be slippery, though I understand why it seems like that, but I really, when if you had me sitting there with Jeff Durbin, um, it would be totally different than when Kwaku went on, because obviously I'm an older guy, and, and I felt they treated Kwaku unfairly, but I wish I would have been there with Kwaku, because they use a lot of uh, flip of the tongue with their doctrine, and it's like, you guys act like you have all the answers. Well, I believe in Jesus Christ, and I feel I have a relationship with him, but I'll admit, like you have on your show several times, well, our strength comes in our foolishness. We're, we are ambiguous. We are walking contradictions, and if Christians would just admit that instead of acting like they know everything, and I feel like when he's trying to win people over to Christ, that a lot of times his approach is just very, uh, just very um, unattractive, and I just... I just I'm always concerned about him because he seems he seems to believe in Christ and he, he professes to believe in Christ, but it just seems like his approach, like if he was approaching somebody like me, it would be like, dude, I just answered your question and then he'd try to answer my question for me and it's like, you already know what I meant, man. You know, when yeah. I when I make a comment, you know. And the onus then falls back on on us to love him, right? And that's, that's difficult. Right. It's difficult well, to lo- love time, that. But you I have really to your staff's awesome. They're always very very kind and professional, so kudos to all your staff, too. Thanks so much, Brother Humble. Thanks for calling in. Appreciate uh, your comments. Yeah, you know what I, said, I in, call once in a while. I don't if like you're ever in Salt Lake City, uh, come sit on the stage with me. Let's talk. I will. Hey, and if you're ever in Salisbury, Maryland, call me up and we'll go have lunch. I pass through there <laughs> weekly. <laughs> you take care. You and your family and staff, God bless. Have a good week, man. God bless you. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. You bet. Uh, that was good. And, you know, I, I've seen uh, our brothers in Cal- who are Calvinists, James White. He was fairly nice with me. Um, he got to throw in a few things like a walking contradiction, which could be tagged on my back now because James said it. And everyone laughs at that. And they slip in their stuff. But Calvinists are uh, often Calvinist apologists are very mean. And uh, we have to love them and we have to encourage them in their belief in Christ. 
but it doesn't mean we can't point out that they are rude at times. And I think Durbin is, was rude to Kwaku. On the same hand, I think Kwaku L was very rude to Aaron Shafafalov. And uh, I thought that was a horrible uh, thing. And so that, all that stuff, I'm hoping we can get around. And while I don't agree uh, theologically with Brother Humble, who just called in, I think it's a step in the right direction for us to give people the benefit of the doubt as to who their Jesus is that they know and love and let them believe in that and walk in that and you receive them in love and let's move on past this stuff. This stuff is the opposite of what God wants in his scripture. The epistles are clear on that. This stuff that's going on between believers and even outside of the faith, that is not what Christ uh, describes or his apostles in the New Testament. Uh, we're called to peace. We're called to love. We're called to uh, humility and contrition and long-suffering. And we have lost that. And I've contributed to it in my early shows. So I, I hear that too, nevertheless. Uh, Case Slater Rock says, when comparing the right and left, you have to look at the majority and not the exceptions. Hopefully, again, he's talking about uh, the right and left relative to what our conversation was. Seth, for some reason, the dating on this thing is... You changed the app? They changed their app? I'm just going to read this one from George Bowmanshaw. He says, if the Trinity isn't real and Jesus is God as well as the Holy Spirit then we have a problem of a multiple God universe. Then we can't admit that there is only one God. Then we have problems with Isaiah 43.10, 44.6.38, that explain that God himself doesn't know of another God means that Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit don't know each other at all and work independently of each other. We know this would be impossible since they refer to each other all the time. George, I don't know what to say to you, except let me use Paul's words. There's one God, the Father, and there's one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the, the complexity grows as we say that Jesus was God with us. It grows when we know that Jesus didn't know everything like when he would return, it grows in complexity. But I stand by the idea, George, that there's one God called the Father and that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And I maintain that after his resurrection, Jesus Christ, born of a woman, was deified and became God. That's how I see it. I think that in his flesh, God dwelled. But the man, Jesus, the man who resurrected, became our God, the mediator between God and man. Uh, that's going to throw a whole new quandary of stuff. But nevertheless, that's it. I don't like this thing not having the dates. And I don't like this because I, I, we have people commenting on things. Who knows what this even means? I'm looking at the pictures. All right, we're going to end the show. There's no calls left. No off-air questions. We're ending 13 minutes early. This coming week, we're going to be talking about something important 
And that is really important to the Christian dialogue. If you're a Christian and you say the Bible is what you stand on, you know it's infallible, you know that you it is word perfect, you know that it must be taken literally, watch this coming Monday night show that's called literally question mark. Really? Question mark. And we'll see you here next week on Heart of the Matter.